What's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Dex, with the I Am Pits podcast, and I'm back for another episode, but I'm going to be doing this one a tad bit different. You see, I am not in the studio because I've literally not had time to really be at home. I don't really know what home is at the current moment because I've been working so much, so I'm at a, actually at an unspecified location handling some business. And so uh, pardon the background noise if you hear that, if you hear planes flying over or trucks in the background, don't worry about where I'm at. Don't worry about what I'm doing. Doing some hood rat things with my friends. Not really, but I'm getting this work in, though, and figured now would be the best time. Well, I ain't going to call it free time, but a little bit of time to actually kind of sit down and chat with you all and catch up on everything that's going on. So just know, like I said, this episode's going to be different. There ain't going to be no intro music. There's not going to be any editing. It's just me and my phone, and I'm about to give it to you all like your daddy gave it to your mama to create your life. I'm about to give it to y'all raw. So, <laughs> y'all like, dude, that's disgusting. That's nasty. I know it is. Why I said that, I don't know. Just felt funny. Just felt right. I went with it. <laughs> so, But uh, thanks for tuning in again. But before we get into the show, you already know. I got to let y'all know about one of my favorite sponsors, an up-and-coming company, Gunfighter Trading Company. Man, these guys have been doing it now, I guess, for about over a year. Man, they make these bourbon, these candles out of bourbon glasses, T-shirts, merch, soap, beer bombs, you name it. Gunfighter Trading Company has it, and I'm all on board and is supporting them. Three cops from Erie, Pennsylvania, came together to start a business. And there's nothing more than I love police officers and entrepreneurs willing to step out into, you know, unknown areas and try something different. These guys, you know, it's so hard to get cops to do anything outside of cop work. So the fact that they've gone outside of that to start their own business, I'm supporting them, and you all should as well. So go to gunfightertrading.co, get your candles, get your beer bombs, get your merch, man, get whatever you want and need from Gunfighter Trading Company. And I'm saying this as a person that uses their products. They are phenomenal, and they are amazing. The next thing to order, I'm going to get me one of those Gunfighter Trading Company hats. Freaking love their hats, love all the gear and their merch, man. So do yourself a favor. Go over there and purchase something for somebody. Purchase something for yourself. And when you check out, be sure to put in the code promotion code PITS, P-I-T-T-S, for 15% off. And also, before we get into the show, I got one more thing to put y'all on to. And I need y'all's help for it. And not me, but my buddy. So my buddy, Michael Nichols, he and I served together in Iraq in 2004 in 2005, we were both in Alpha Company 214 Infantry with the 10th Mountain Division. Mike's a great guy. I love Mike. Mike is my dude. Me and him stay in touch. He's also a writer and an author. Mike's also afraid of clowns, and I find it funny that somebody as big and intimidating and scary as him is terrified of clowns. For some odd reason, he is. I don't know why, but it's hilarious to me. But Mike is actually in the running to be 2023's Mr. Health and Fitness Man of the Year. And if you want to help me make Mike Mr. 2023, Mr. Health and Fitness of the Year, I need you all to go to the link. I'm going to put that in the show description at the end of the uh, at the end of the show and put it in there. Just click on the link and go and vote for my buddy, Michael Nichols. So what he's doing is he's a part of this thing. It's uh, supporting the mission for health and fitness, but also the Wounded Warrior Project. And so what they've been doing is teaming together and they're building model homes for critically injured uh, United States military veterans. So when you go and vote, and if you donate, you get more votes. And that money goes to the Wounded Warrior Project to help 
disabled veterans get homes built. So go give my buddy a vote. All right, let's make help make Michael Nichols the 2023's man of man of the year, the health and fitness man of the year. All right, I know I messed that up, and I'm not gonna be able to edit that out. But all good. We're gonna keep it rolling, though, man. Man, it's good to be back on another solo episode, man. I hope the quality's not too too bad and too too horrible as I'm speaking into my phone. But man, it's uh been an interesting couple weeks. The month of April was absolutely hell, man. I I mean, we go from ha- I went from having a great Easter to running downtown to the hospital to be with the LMPD officers after the mass shooting they had here. And man, I ain't gonna, I've just been drained. I mean, I'm exhausted. I'm emotionally drained from work and physically drained. And just, I know I got some things going on in my personal life I'm working through. Nothing crazy, you know, just, just life, man. It happens, man. But plus it's derby time here in Louisville. So you know what that means. I mean, man, it's officers everywhere. And like every other year, the homeless people have magically disappeared and Louisville is at perfect harmony and peace all of a sudden, you know, because it's derby time and everybody loves derby and all these businesses want to make money. But it's also money-making time for the police here in the city because, man, there's so much money to be made off-duty with everything that's going on. And I tell people, on top of that, man, honestly, we are the city is still dealing with the fallout of the mass shooting and all the, oh, not just that shooting, two mass shootings in one week in Louisville and all the other violence that has gripped Louisville over the last few weeks. You know, I really think that people are starting to see how necessary police are. You know, it takes tragedy to make us really appreciate things. And I think people are starting to show a little bit more appreciation to me and my brothers and sisters and sisters in blue, man. It's, I mean, people, I mean, everywhere I go now, and maybe it's because I left Metro and I'm working for a different police department in a different part of the city. In the L, but it seems like no matter where I go in Louisville, my police target, there's always somebody that's Hey, officer, I just want to thank you for what you do, man. I don't know how you do it, but I just want to thank you. And, man, it, that makes me really appreciative. And, you know, it, it, it feels good, especially after what we've been through the last few years, yo. But, I mean, the guys that responded to that bank shooting, man, they did us a solid. They did those people in that building a solid, and they did this profession some good, man, just showing that type of courage and bravery. And they were going running into danger like that. I think people realize that there's a special group of people in this country that have that capability and, and ability to do that, you know, and it's, it's hard, you know, and they realize that nobody else is willing to do it, but police are. And so I think people are really starting to appreciate that a little more, but, you know, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that, the uh, mass shootings and stuff in the uh, later in the episode, but man, the fear of another mass shooting is real. And there is like a mass shooting hysteria currently going on. I want to say in the city, but it's currently, I mean, it's across the entire United States, man. I mean, yeah, but we're really feeling it here in Louisville. I mean, the amount of threats that are being called into schools, businesses, this is just locally. It's increased like tenfold, man. I mean, mass shootings, like it's become a social contagion, a social virus, and everybody's afraid of catching one. I mean, companies are calling for and requesting for off-duty officers at a rate that I've never yet seen. Man, so we have here, when we work off-duty, we got this company we work for. I'm not going to put the business out there, yo, but they have an app. And, they, and, dude, anytime you go on this app, it tells you all the jobs that are available. And I'm telling you, the week after the shooting, man, my phone was constantly going off. It was just, hey, this person needs a cop. They got a terminated employee. They need a cop here. Threats made to the facility. They need a cop here. And, I mean, man, and these when I tell you that these places are playing, paying us some money, 
man, these places are paying money. And I told now I do it, you know, to take care of my family. I love being a cop, yeah, but making the money is great. But I also take these jobs because I feel confident in my ability as an officer with 13 years that if something was to happen, something was to go down at their establishment, I really honestly believe that I am equipped and skilled to handle the situation necessary and to stop the threat, and that I am not going to hesitate to go in and do what is necessary. And so I hope that it doesn't happen on my watch, but if it does, just so I'm ready. I'm ready to lay it down all on the line just because I believe in this profession and I believe we're going to bring honor to this profession and this uniform and this, you know, this, this badge on my chest. So, you know, who I, I, as I feel, who better than me? And, man, and any, so now it's like we're to the point where it's like any time a company fires someone, they call for an off-duty officer ASAP. Anytime somebody's terminated, man, and an employee makes a threat, they call in for an off-duty officer. And the thing is, man, people have always been this way, you know, to where people make threats. People say, hey, man, I'm going to shoot this building up. You mother, you know, you mother effers, y'all fire me. I'm coming. I'm killing everybody. That's always been a thing, man. I've been a cop for 13 years, and I've always been, I've, you know, responded to so many businesses and taken so many reports on a terminated employee, say he's going to shoot and kill everybody or a disgruntled family member. He's going to kill people. And the thing is, it used to never happen. It was a rare occasion. But now, America 2023, we can't take those threats as empty promises. We have to take those, those things into consideration now because these common, these mass shootings have become so commonplace in our, in our world, in our society. And I can't explain it. It's sick. But like I said, it's a social contagion. It's literally a virus. I mean, there was, there was another mass shooting yesterday in Atlanta. Black guy with a handgun walks into a medical office, shoots five people. I believe he killed one of them. I don't know any much about the case, man, but, I mean, it's not – it's on the news and then it's gone. You know? I mean, the week of our shooting here in Louisville, man, we had another mass shooting at a park. We're going to get into that later, but it didn't get as much attention. I mean, there was another mass shooting in Alabama. I mean, it is just ongoing and ongoing. I think I saw somewhere that there had been, like, maybe 180 to 200 mass shootings since the beginning of the year. And I'm just like, man, what the heck is going on? And I just realized, you know, it's just the world we're currently living in. And anytime somebody makes a threat, we literally have to take every precaution to make sure that that person does not carry out that threat. So it's, it's like I said, it's been, it's been wild, man. It's been a wild time here. I've never seen so much work. So many people requesting off-duty officers for their safety, y'all. I mean, I've been on house watches, sitting at businesses, man, you name it. And, I mean, man, I'm not going to lie. I, I've i had my best financial week ever in my life, <laughs> man, making money the, the week since the week of the mass shooting. And, I mean, it's been ridiculous. And, I mean, that's why I said I haven't been home. Man, I've been literally pulling 13-day stretches of 16- to 19-hour days. And I'm currently on another 13-day stretch. And, man, you know, I told you all a couple months ago, I had given up caffeine for the long haul. I wasn't going back, yo, but, man, I am in the struggle. A brother is tired, and, you know, I'm getting sleep. But, man, it's like <laughs> sleep's good, but I could definitely use more. I'm getting about, you know, six, seven hours a night. But, man, you know, it's just this constant go, 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 go. And as soon as I get home and rest, open up the app or I get a notification there's another job that opened, 
for to pay an officer a ridiculous amount of money to be there just in case these people have this business has its worst day in its history. And so, you know, I mean, I mean, I haven't been home. I haven't really seen my kids, you know, and people are like, man, that's horrible, Dexter. Why would you be away from your family like that? Well, you know, we got bills. I got, you know, goals, financial goals I, I have for my family, man. I mean, man, and, but the thing is for me, I'm thankful that I have my wife because man, my wife, she came to the police station the other night when I was working my shift, her and the kids, and they brought me food, and we sat and had dinner together as a family at the police station. You know, and it meant so much to me, man, because, you know, when I hear my kids say, Daddy, we miss you, we love you, it does something to my heart, and it's like, man, I love y'all too, and I miss y'all, but I know I'm gone right now, but I'm working hard now, so I don't have to work this hard later to get stuff taken care of, man. You know, the things we do for our family and those we love, and I'm willing to sacrifice now so that I don't have to sacrifice later. But like I'm, I'm running on fumes, and I'm tired, but I'm still in it, still in the game. You know, I'm focused and I'm capable of doing my job if need be. And I hate to say it, man, because it sounds horrible, but Man, myself included, man, people are literally profiting profiting off of all these tragedies. And, I mean, it's just a damn shame that we live in a world that's so violent, chaotic, and unpredictable. I mean, it's I just never thought I would live in this type of world. And, I mean, I'm pretty sure that the week of the mass shooting here in Louisville, that we set a record that week during the mass shooting. From what I was told, what I heard was with the both mass shootings in Louisville, and all the other violence combined in Louisville that week that I believe it was 19 homicides in a total week. 19. And they also pulled a couple bodies from the river, from the Ohio River, and a couple of cars. That's a lot of people, man. But the thing is, nobody's saying anything about it. Yo. And I'm just like, man, that's kind of wild, man. I never thought I would see Louisville in this type of light, yo. But, I mean, it's just, I mean, Louisville's just a city, man. You just can't mess around with it no more. These people here are crazy, man. People are crazy everywhere, but it's just, I mean, we used to have a place for crazy people in the state asylum, yo, but now these people are amongst us, and now we're putting crazy on a platform and giving crazy a pedestal, and now crazy feels uncensored and crazy feels entitled to just not kill themselves, but to kill you and your family while you're at a picnic. You know, crazy now feels entitled to go to a bank and kill you while you're trying to work your nine to five. Man, and it's just, man, it's... And like I said, it's been so emotional the last few weeks, man, and just you just never know who you're going to run into in Louisville or what's going to happen. You know, and I've had so many encounters with people that were good, but I'm also going to talk about this later, but, man, I've had a lot of negative encounters lately as well, and I don't know what's going on, yo. But, man, the, the uh, I think it was the week of the mass shooting or a couple of days after, maybe the following week. You know, I was driving into Louisville, and so I don't live in Louisville, but I was coming across the 2nd Street Bridge you know, going into the city because I don't want to pay that toll because I refuse to give Metro government any more of my money. So I take, the, you know, I take the detour through downtown and take the Second Street Bridge. But man, usually I was coming over the hill and I got and I saw that man, the bridge, the line for the bridge was so long and I was like, yo, I'm gonna go pay the toll. So I'm, you know, everybody's kind of making a U-turn right before you get to the bridge. And so as I'm getting ready to make my U-turn, I pull out a little bit so I can see oncoming traffic. And I see people coming, and I stop my car. I'm not in their lane yet, yo, but, you know, I'm just kind of sitting there waiting, and they drive by. And the next thing you know, I just hear somebody lay on a horn. And this young white girl drives past me, honking her horn, yo. I'm not even pulled out. I'm not blocking her way. And I look at her, and she's giving me the finger as she's driving by me. 
And I see her lips move like F, you know, it says F you. And I'm just like, oh, really? And so she don't know. I'm going the same way as her. And so she starts driving, and she drives back into uh, Indiana. And guess what? I'm driving back into Indiana as well. And so <laughs> next thing you know, we come to the same light. And I pull up right next to her and roll down my window, and I'm looking at her like, excuse me, ma'am, do we have a problem? And I've never seen so much fear in someone's eyes. And I'll tell you, man, that's something I do rather well is scare white women in this lifetime. My Lord, I have scared more than my fair share of white women. Not intentionally, just by me being big and black. And them doing something stupid and putting, you know, saying something to me, causing me to react. You know, and just showing their natural bias towards a black man, I guess. <laughs> you know, but, hey, hey, this girl, man, she, uh, I'm looking at her. And there's nobody behind us. She puts her car in reverse, reverses back so she doesn't have to look at me. And she has the fear of God in her. She looks like the type that, that would absolutely say believe black lives matter. But when confronted with a black life that she just gave the finger to and said, F you, oh, she didn't want that smoke. Oh, she didn't want any of them problems. And she scooted back. You know what I did? I scooted back as well just to keep looking at her, just to keep me mugging her. And I'm sitting here thinking, she looks down, and I was like, she's about to get her phone and call the police. And I'm like, go ahead and call the police, because it's not a crime to mean mug somebody. Man, and so I'm looking at her, and then she throws her hand up like, what, what? And I'm just looking at her, I say again, do we have a problem, ma'am? And she's just looking, looking, and I'm like, man, what's up? <laughs> and the next thing you know, and so my light turns green, and I drive, and I take off. And I see her pick up and put the phone to her ear, and she don't know. I've been a police officer for 13 years. You could go ahead and call the police and told them that you were just threatened by this giant black man on the interstate. And you know what I know? I know what she don't know, that it's going to be a bolo. It's going to be on, be on the lookout report because there's you know, there was no crime committed. And the fact that you can call the Indiana State Police all you want, guess what? I'm not going to be in jurisdiction when they get over here. Because I'm about to get back on the bridge and go south again, back into Louisville. So you can go ahead and call the police, man. But this is why it's important to know that, man, you know, you, you don't get into road rage incidents, man. That young white girl better be glad it was me and not somebody else. Because somebody probably really, really could have ruined her day. So, you know, I gave her a little bit of grace and mercy on that one. You know what I'm saying? But, yeah, that's just so weird. You know, just people are just so comfortable. You know, social media has made people so comfortable they think that they can just drive by, honk the horn, somebody give them the finger, and just think that they get, it's just cool to keep driving on. Man, you don't know these people. You don't know what these people are going through, man. It could have been anybody else. And who knows what, God knows what could have happened, man. But, you know, it's just so weird that, you know, and we're in the year 2023, and to think, yo, that 20-plus years ago, our biggest concern in America was Muslim extremists. Islamists, you know, Muslim terrorists, flying planes in the buildings and mass bombings. And, you know, we were, that was our biggest concern ever in America. And now we've shifted to nobody thinks or cares about Muslim extremists no more, which we haven't had attack here in so long. But the worry now is us being killed by our own citizens, man, by our own people in a mass gathering for what? Also, they can have some clout on the internet. 
also they can extract their vengeance and it's it's weird like that we've come to this place in America, man. And like I said, you know, these shootings have become such a social contagion. And I mean, I it's baffling to see that this amount of violence just keeps continuing to happen. And you know, some people are blaming it on you know AR-15, yo. But I'm like, man, it's not the AR-15. I'm never gonna tell you it's the AR-15. It's just people. People will take anything, any weapon and can do mass destruction and tear apart human lives and human families all for the sake of violence. Hold up one second. Look at this truck coming in. All right, brother. Keep it moving, dog. Keep it moving. All right. <laughs> Sorry, I got distracted. <laughs> but, yeah, man, you know, so yeah, I'm just kind of at a loss of words with all the violence that's constant and ongoing, man. It, it's definitely a cause for concern. I mean, even like I said, it was Derby last week, uh, this week, and, Man, we had Thunder Over Louisville here, yo, and hardly anybody came out to Thunder Over Louisville. The weather sucked, but also I think people are more terrified and more aware of that. Yo, just being out with your family, yo, like you, it can happen anytime, anywhere. And when there are when there is a mass gathering, I think that people realize, yo, that the that the danger for being involved in a critical incident as such as a mass shooting or an active aggressor, it has increased in America. And it's not a matter of if, but a matter of when. And, you know, we know that there's going to be another another shooting as such. When and where, who knows, but we do know it's coming. And, man, while I'm on the subject of mass shootings, man, so with the mass shooting here in Louisville, man, people realize that it was mostly rich white bank executives that were killed during the mass shooting here. And there was one young black lady, beautiful black lady, Miss Julia Farmer, or I repeat all of God rest her soul, yo. But so where I work at, you know, I work in a pretty affluent, rich neighborhood in Louisville. It's a complete 360 from what I used to work in the gutter down in the first division in the streets, in the streets of Dosker Manor and the first and Broadway, man. So I worked in the gutter most of my career, yo. But now I'm not in the gutter. I'm now in a nice part of no, a nice part of town working, yo. But I was doing a house watch. The week after, the week after the oh well not the week a couple of days after the shooting you know, and I did not realize that the house I was watching was the house of one of the bank executives and that had been killed. So I'm doing my house watch and I'm walking around the house making sure you know nobody's out there messing with the family and messing with the house. You know, and I didn't realize that people were home. You know, so I didn't know that was supposed to be just kind of a drive by, keep an eye on it. But I didn't get that memo. But it, so I'm walking, and I make contact with the family, and I wanted to make sure they didn't see this giant black guy in the, <laughs> in the backyard with a flashlight thinking that he was snooping around the house, yo. So I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to scare y'all. If I did, my apologies. I'm just trying to make sure your house is okay, yo. So, you know, I start talking to them like, hey, this is the house of such and such. He was killed the other day. And, man, my heart instantly sank, yo, just coming face-to-face -face, with one of the shooting victims families, man. It like, man, I could just feel their sorrow and their heaviness weighing on my heart, yo. So, I mean, I gave each and every last one of them a hug. I mean, they seemed like a great family, yo. And I mean, they were definitely well off, man, living in a nice home, yo. But it just goes to show that, you know, all the money we make in this life and the houses we buy, you know, it doesn't, we're not immune to tragedy you know, and that we don't get to take any of that stuff with us when we die. When we die, we leave it here. It stays with our families, and we go on, and they go on as well, yo. But 
You know, the thing about that incident that really stuck out to me was, I don't know who the lady was. Is that an older, older white lady? I don't know if it was his mother. Or I don't know if it was maybe sister. I don't know. And hey, but I just know I hugged this lady as she was crying. You know, and as they're getting ready to bury their loved one in the, the next day, yo, and she tells me, she says, Officer, what are we going to do about these AR-15s? And so me, being an officer of the law, being in uniform, and realizing that I'm not representing myself personally at the moment, but I am representing the department, the Constitution. You know, in the back of my mind, when somebody asked me, what are we going to do about these AR-15? I am a Second Amendment person, man, and I believe in what this, uh, you know, the Constitution was written for. You know, I don't believe this is a living, breathing document. I believe that shall not be infringed upon is what the Constitution says, and that's what I believe it means. You know, I, to me, there's no reason to have the government step in and tell you you can't have this weapon, you can't have this and that. I don't. I just don't believe in that, yo. Know? But my thing is. Regardless of how staunch I am in the Second Amendment, even when I'm in uniform, I realize that I have to be cognizant of what I represent. You know, and I know that as a person who has been through struggles, as a person that has lost someone to gun violence in my life, you know, I knew that in that moment, it was not the time for me to look at this lady in my police uniform with a family that is very well connected and you know, democratic, you know, that I knew that now was not the time to tell this lady, ma'am, shall not be infringed upon. You know, there's a time and place for everything, and y'all know me, I hate politics, yo, but at the same time, there's a time to be a human, and there's a time to be political. And this was a time for me to be human and not talk politics. Even though people bring up politics to me all the time while I'm in uniform, yo, but I am not a politician. I am a police officer. I am a neutral party. I am supposed to be non-biased. I am supposed to be objective in enforcing the law equally. But I didn't see this time as a time for me to shove my beliefs, political beliefs, down her throat while she's grieving the fresh loss of a loved one at the hands of an AR-15. Like, how does anyone, any human, that has a heart, has a soul, hug someone who just literally lost a loved one to violence at the hands of an AR-15. How can you look at that person grieving in that moment and say, shall not be infringed upon? Even if I wasn't worried about losing my job, just as a human being, I could never say something like that to someone who was grieving. So instead of getting into the weeds of the AR-15 debate, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to give this woman love and tell her, you know what? And I told her, I was like, ma'am, I don't know what's going on in this country right now, but I, my heart aches for you all, and I, I hate everything that has happened, and my heart goes out to you all. That's the proper and appropriate response. There was no need for me to get into this debate, debate on the government, you know, them being Democratic, and they probably don't know what I am. You know, black, I'm sure they probably assume maybe I'm a Democrat. I'm not. I'm extremely conservative. I say I'm a, I'm a registered Republican on the books, but... I identify less and less with each party with more and more stuff that happens every day, yo. But I just, man, it just wasn't the right time to get into that, yo. And I think we in America, we've lost the ability to look at stuff and separate our politics and our beliefs. And we've lost, you know, our politics have become our religion. 
Our politics have become our identity. And I resolved to not let that become who I was. My politics, my beliefs shape me. You know, it is, it's a part of me, yo, but it's not who I am. You know, and I still see people as humans. I still see people beyond their politics, regardless of how I feel about their politics, yo. But everybody's a human. She's a human. I'm a human. That family's grieving. And the last thing I wanted to do is start a debate with a very rich and powerful family. While I'm in uniform, trying to do my due diligence to make sure nobody's messing with them, it wasn't the time, you know. So, you know, I just kind of swallowed it on that one and just kind of went about my way, you know, and I gave them a hug. And let me tell you, man, they were so nice to me. I mean, they invited me in. I mean, they gave me food, water, whatever. I And I turned everything down because I was like, man, I don't want anything. I just want to give you all a hug and tell you all I love you all and I'm sorry. So, man, it, so you know, I go about my shift, man, and. It just really struck me, you know, just, you know it's, it's so easy to say, shall not be infringed upon. But ask yourself, could you say, shall not be infringed upon to someone that's grieving the loss of a loved one, to a weapon that people believe Americans should not have? I know a lot of people are saying you could, but when you're faced, faced with it in that moment, I think, you know, if you're a real human and you really care about people, that would not be your response. But if you're so into your political beliefs, yo, and you're so into your conspiracy theories and whatever, yeah, you could absolutely do it, yo, but just because you could do it doesn't mean that's the right thing to do, and I know I did and said the right thing. I was there to, you know, console that family when I just so happened to stumble upon them, yo, it's like, it doesn't change my beliefs or in anything, yo, but, man, I'm just glad that God put me in a position to where I could meet them because, man, I just, just seeing this whole event unfold on national television, and in my in my own town, you know, like then being able to actually meet a victim of the family, it was just, it was weird, man. It just caught me off guard. It just, that's kind of what's added to my emotional burden the last couple of weeks, man. It just being so close to the people involved in the thing, the officers involved, you know, knowing that I worked down there, that, that, that those are the streets I used to patrol. Those are the guys I used to make answer calls with. And to know that there's a young officer, Officer Wilt fourth day on the job and Ayo that put his life on the line for people he did not know. And so it's like I said, I've been kind of laying low from the show, just kind of processing everything. You know, just realizing now is not the time for me to be, you know, doing podcasts and out here and you know, I, I needed to heal emotionally just like everybody else. But it feels like kinda of like, you know, life and mobile, the people have already gone about their way. You know, people are still gonna remember it, but man I'm, I, I've not not moved on completely, and, you know. I'm still kind of working through things. And it just it bothers me knowing that there's this young officer that's out there right now in the hospital, still fighting for his life. You know, Officer Dick Wilton. I mean, he's he's still fighting. He's still here. He's still with us, man. And that gives me hope. But you know, just uh, the shooting that happened here, the mass shooting, it really brought a lot of things to light and to perspective for me on things I've always known about and heard about, you know, but never seen for myself directly, you know, just because I've only worked in a certain part of town. You know, but the one thing that this shooting exposed to me, you know, was the this thing here in Louisville we have called the Ninth Street Divide. If you Google Louisville's Ninth Street, Ninth Street Divide, you'll see what it is. Ninth Street Divide is a theory that everything west of Ninth Street, which is pretty much the black area of Louisville and also the poor and impoverished white part of Louisville known as Portland, but also the West End, you know, like 
that's the Ninth Street Divide. That the Ninth Street Divide divides the poor, the people of color, however you want to say it, black people, you know, from the rich part of town, the you know, the, the part of town that everybody cares about, the east end of downtown. Although there's plenty of poor people down there as well, yo. But the Ninth Street Divide, man, it's what they call it here in Louisville. And so, man, I realized that the Ninth Street Divide in Louisville was a real thing when this mass shooting happened because we had that mass shooting at the Old National Bank on April 10th. And in that mass shooting at Old National Bank, you had, I think, four or five, four white, rich white bank executives, well-connected, that were shot and killed by an AR-15, and it made national news. You know what I mean, man? Big-time national news. And I, I mean, it was everywhere. People from I haven't heard from in years were contacting me. Oh my God, are y'all okay, Dexter? I mean, man. I mean, CNN, Fox News, it was everywhere. Oh, that five, you know, four rich white bank executives and one young black lady that didn't get as much attention. I'll be honest. But man, days, couple days later, west of the Ninth Street Divide in the poorer part of town, in the predominantly black part of town in, in West Louisville. At Chickasaw Park, there was another mass shooting. I believe it's six or seven people shot, two dead, and one was critical. When that shooting came out, I was like, man, no way there's another mass shooting. But I noticed that there was not as much attention on this mass shooting, regardless of the fact that it just happened in Louisville. Days after the old National Bank mass shooting, there was no big-time media coverage. There was no blood drive to get blood for the victims like there was at the old national bank shooting you know there was no memorial services there was no prayer vigils there was no big time people coming to Louisville to speak on it there were the governor did not visit there were no politicians that came down for the mass shooting that happened in the black neighborhood and there was no no there was no political talk that happened from this mass shooting because it was just another day in the hood, just another day in the ghetto, just another day west of Ninth Street where Tyrone and all his homies decided, you know, they got beef and there was a shootout. But when it's rich, white, well-connected bank executives, it's a big problem. But when it's just the Negroes west of Ninth Street, it's just business as usual and the attention is different and i noticed that hey, I, i've always heard of about it i've always you know heard people talk about it but i've never really noticed it and seen it until that week and i was like man this the night street divide is definitely real it, the you know the way people care when things happen downtown versus the way thing when things happen in the hood it's completely different man and it's not right and it's not fair you know but you know, what's going to make, you know, more national news? What's going to be a better story? Five rich, well-connected bank executives getting shot and killed during a meeting? Or just two young black dudes in the hood, which happens all the time, just getting shot and killed? And I believe an AR-15 was used during that one, but that was never brought up, man. And somebody told me it made national news for a second, a swift second, yo. But, I mean, man, these shootings happen here in Louisville with young black men. It's on the news for a second, and then it's gone, yo, but... When it's downtown during business hours and it's rich white bank executives killed, 
man, there's there's memorials. I mean, man, people come out and pray, and I mean, big dogs come out, politicians, man. But my God, man, what a disparity! It's it's unsettling, you know, and it's it's just not right. And these people, you know, that get killed in the hood, you know, they deserve the attention as well. But like I said that's just not where the media's attention is, and Part of me thinks, is it because it happens so often in the black neighborhood, Joe, that it's just become the normal weekend in a black neighborhood? And and that shouldn't be the case, but that's almost what it is, man. And it just hurts me to say that, and it hurts me to see that. But these people in the West End are hurting just as much as the people and the families of the rich people. When you lose a relative or someone you love to violence, man. The Ninth Street divide is definitely real. And if that's happening here, I know it's happening on a larger scale because, you know, these mass shootings happen all over the place. But when it's in Chicago, when it's a bunch of young black males doing it to each other, it's just business as usual, yo. But nobody cares until, unfortunately, it's the elite that, you know, start getting pulled into these situations. Just like the Cash App founder in San Francisco who was, stabbed to death and murdered out on the streets of San Francisco. San Francisco has been a crap hole for a long time and going downhill. I mean, people don't even call the police no more because there's no point because it's so violent and it's so crime-ridden, you know, and there's not enough cops. But all of a sudden, this rich, white, liberal dude gets stabbed to death in the streets of San Francisco, and now people are calling for the National Guard to come in and patrol the streets because now people are concerned. So when it happens to everybody else, it's okay. But when it happens to the rich and the elite, it's a problem. Well, I think somebody needs to tell the rich and the elite that they're really no different than us. Just because you make more money does not make you better. And, man, it's just so weird how that works in America. You know, and I'm not going to sit here and say that capitalism is evil. It's I don't believe it is, yo, but I believe that the media pays more attention to those with than those without. And it's just, it's a damn shame that life is not held on an equal scale and balance and that there's more attention given to those who have more money in this country. It don't matter if you're black or white. If you got more money and you got more influences, more people care. But if you're just a young dude from the hood, only your friends and family around you will care. Nobody else. That is, unless you're a black male and you get shot by a white cop, then all of a sudden you're a lottery ticket, man, and everybody cares. Everybody want to be there, man. So, yeah, it's just, you know, then we had this uh, other mass shooting that happened in Texas. And this was an interesting one because it was done by a Mexican national, a man that was not even a U.S. citizen. I guess he was at his home shooting his gun. And his neighbors went next door and talked to him, like, hey, man, could you chill out and not shoot your gun? Like, my kids are trying to sleep. The next thing you know, this dude goes and shoots and kills and executes all five members of this family. And then he goes on the run, you know, then he gets caught, I believe, in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, up here. And I was just like, what the heck, man? This guy's not even supposed to be here, an illegal alien. And he killed five U.S. citizens. And the news is talking about it, but... They're not talking about it that much. It's already fallen to the bottom of the headline. You know, it's just, you know, the, the problem we're having in America, like, it's mental health. And then the other part is our immigration is horrible here. And I realized something at work the other day. 
where I work at, we have a lot of apartment complexes, Joe, but I've been here since November, and since November, I have noticed an uptick in a trend in people coming to the area and living here, you know, that don't speak Spanish, uh, excuse me, don't speak English, well, at least they say they don't speak English, they know my black ass ain't speaking Spanish, that's what it is, and they know they can get away with life now, no, I know I'm like, no, I'm like, yeah, you do, you do, you know you speak the English, bro, I, quit playing with me, but yeah, man, eh, you know, eh, eh, so it's people, and that's from America, I'm just saying a lot of Venezuelans and a lot of Guatemalans, and also the amount of people that I stop now, not targeting, just randomly stop on traffic stops for traffic infractions and violations, I'm seeing, I'm coming across a lot more people that don't have driver's license. When I ask for their license, I'm being presented with an ID card from their home country or what they call an international driver's license, which is not a thing. can't have an international driver's license with an address in Louisville. That ain't how that's supposed to work. Yo. But I am seeing it more and more every day. The calls I'm getting more and more to that complex, and I'm just like, man, I forgot. You know, I used to work on the Border Patrol, and I forgot how bad the immigration has gotten under the Biden administration and the amount of people influxing into America illegally. Man, it's a cost for concern. And if you throw in the the drug epidemic on top of that, the fentanyl that's coming across the southern border, that, that is killing millions of Americans. Hey, yo, that is a problem, and that is a threat to national security. Man, I told my homeboys, I was like, man, I'm about to start calling y'all directly on the phone. When I got somebody, I pull over and claim they don't speak English. I'm, I'm going to call y'all and have y'all translate for me, man. Cause, dude, it's, I, and I, I didn't realize until the other day, like, man, this place has changed in only a couple of months. A few months, y'all. Like, it's a different community in these uh, certain complexes, man. And then you, I get called all the time, and there are American citizens complaining about the noise, the crime, and the, I'm just like, man, it wasn't like this a couple months ago. And that's when I realized, like, man, I've been so removed and detached from the Border Patrol you know, that, you know, that I forgot about the immigration problem and the tide of illegals coming into the country. I saw a Something the other day, a statistic that stated that I believe that there's enough illegal immigrants in America at this moment in time under the Biden administration to fill six states. Six states, man. That's a lot of people. And I'm not saying, hey, I don't want you to come to my country. This is America. I welcome all people who come here legally. And I understand that getting here legally is a little bit more difficult and a bit more expensive for some people, but we have to have a border because without a border and without laws and rules, we are not America, yo. And so, you know, we're slowly starting to slip and lose America inch by inch, policy by policy, man, and just the Biden administration. And I'll just say that just the government and elected officials in general they just don't seem to care. What's their agenda behind it? I don't know. Some people call it the Great Replacement Theory. I part personally and partially, I believe it, that they want to get enough people here to America, they give them all citizenship, and then hopefully they'll all vote Democrat. Some people say it's crazy. I, I don't think it's crazy at all. So, man, we're going to see what's going to be going on with that in the next couple months with the election coming. we got a lot of interesting stuff coming up, man. But also, man, you know, when I came, when I left Metro, one of the reasons I left was because I was tired of dealing with the protesters and all the wokeness and the BLM stuff. Hell, and I'm just thinking, like, man, I'm going to go out here. It's going to be different. And, of course, it is different. And I don't 
run into as much anti-police hate and anti-police people, but I'm reminded constantly that no matter where I go, there they shall also be too. Man, and I, one thing I've told you on the show is since the 2020 protest, one of the things I have always enjoyed is coming in contact with people who I know have been friends with before in the past or that, that have turned on me for not anything I've done, but just for simply being a police officer and confronting them and the things that they did and said to me during this time period in America where the police were public enemy number one during 2020, and that we were all evil, racist Nazis. And, you know, to have gone to church with somebody, prayed with somebody, worshiped God with somebody, and served God in the community with somebody, you would think that that would be a bond that would be unbreakable, but that's incorrect. And I learned that over the years. So since 2015, you know, I've, you know, I've now left two churches that have gone the way of the woke, you know, and two churches that have, Next, I'm a, the first church completely was anti-police, and I left. The second church I left, and not 100% anti-police, but I didn't feel comfortable because of the way the, the church was developing and the people who were like me, extremely conservative, pro-America, love God, love America, those people left the church, so I left again. But one thing I've enjoyed over the years is confronting those people that I used to go to church with. And, well, I had another confrontation. The other night, I'm not going to call it a confrontation, but a run-in the other night. So my buddy makes a stop. Not even a stop. It's a suspicious vehicle on this lot. Expired tags, you know, and by the time I get there, I walk up. He's handling and I can see a little stress on his face, and I can hear somebody in the car giving him the business. I walk up to the driver's side while he's on the passenger side. Somebody sees me and says, oh, my goodness, Dex, what's up, man? And I see who it is, and I'm like, my first thing on my mouth is, don't hate Dex me, what's up? Because this person, at one point in time, you know, we went to church together. This was my friend, and this person prayed for me, and I prayed for this person. And then all of a sudden, this person becomes, I don't want to say political, but an activist. You know, and just all of a sudden, you know, this person completely forgot everything in 2020, 2021, in 2022, and all of a sudden we're supposed to be cool again because now the heat's on and applied to you, you're being held accountable at the arm of the law, and I am the arm of the law. And now you want to talk to me and be friendly because you think it's going to benefit you, yo, but this person doesn't remember when I came back to Louisville in 2020, I ran into this person at the mall. After this person had said something to me, I said something about me online on social media and posted a picture of me in uniform downtown, downtown during the protest. And this person, it said, oh, Dexter, under the post. And I'll never forget it. I have it screenshotted on my phone, you know, and just, man, it really hurt because I was like, what did I do to y'all, man? So I'm looking at this person, and I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, like, I got to say something, man, because, but I'm in uniform and I'm working, and I'm like, I don't want to be unprofessional. And, you know, this isn't a personal vendetta. Like, I don't want to confront these people because I want to make them feel bad. I confront people and the things that they've done and said because I want to understand why and what I did to them personally. So I said to this person, you know, man, I reached out to you. I got your number so I could holler at you so we could chat and figure this thing out. But you wouldn't answer my phone calls when I tried to talk to you and be cordial. But now that you're in this predicament, you want to be my friend. All I want to know is 
what did I do to you personally to make you feel that way about me? And the response this person gave me is the same response I've gotten from other people that I've gotten to confront about the things they said and did during 2020. This person said, man, <laughs> you know, man, 2020 was a wild time, man. You know, and I'm like, yeah, 2020 was a wild time. It was life-changing. 2020 changed me in a way, but 2020 never changed my character and who I was and how I treated people. It, but for some odd reason, 2020 turned you into a worse person. 2020 showed your true character. And, and, I'm, and I'm just sitting there talking to this person, and they're defending everything. I'm not going to say they're defending everything they did, but they're deflecting. They, that, this person can't answer my question, what I did to them personally. And I saw someone on my Facebook posted, it's mob mentality, bro. And I understand that, yo. I understand the mob mentality. Hey, but what did I personally do to you to make you turn on me? The mob mentality is not an excuse for me for being stupid or being, you know, changing your character. I've been a part of, you know, large groups, but I've always maintained to be an individual. So I'm asking this person these things, and we're rapping and we're chatting, you know, and we're getting this thing smoothed out and worked out, you know, with, you know, it's for me, I realized that we were just on different wavelengths and different walks of life, and that's okay. You don't have to like the police. You don't have to like me. But we got, at least got to be respectful, yo. But I knew that this was a different person when we started talking about 2020. And this person said to me, when I was downtown in 2020, I've never seen such evil like the Louisville Metro Police Department. I was like, such evil as the Louisville Metro Police Department? I was like, you talking about the officers that got shot? On the night of, I think it was, uh, oh my God, but September 26th, the night of the Breonna Taylor verdict trial, those officers were evil. Those officers that got shot by a lunatic with a gun that was left-leaning and pro-black, pro-BLM, LMPD were the ones that are evil. I was like, are you serious? And I was just like, man, there's just no point in continuing to talk to this person. But I was like, hey, I understand why you said that, because we had a few officers that went bad and went rogue and done some bad things, but you can't paint the entire department as evil because of a few officers. You know, you know this person, well, yeah, I, I get that and I understand that, yo, but it just felt that way. And I'm just like, man, that's not fair. You can't paint me. You know me. We worship together, pray together. Do you think I'm evil? And the person couldn't answer me, yo, but, you know, I'm just sitting there hashing this thing out, yo, and just, and I even start leveling, like, hey, I understand why. You all feel the way you do about LMPD because LMPD has made tons of mistakes in the past. We've had so many scandals here. And I was like, yo, it's cool. I understand. But you can't. That's LMPD. But that's not me. So I go and talk to my partner about this incident we're in right now, what he's going to do. And I told him, well, look, you need to write the other person a citation for this expired tag because if you don't, you let them go. They're going to say we did it for nothing just simply because they're black. I was like, you need to write them. So he goes and he starts working on the citation. I'll go back and talk to this old friend of mine. Next thing you know, he comes up and he's like, give the other person a citation for the vehicle. And as soon as that happened, the, the, the switch flipped. It was, see, you're going to give us a citation for this? This is exactly why people don't fuck with the police. We could be out here doing this and serving food and doing this and that, but you all have nothing better to do than to come here and harass us and mess with us. And that's when I was just like, you know what, I'm done. 
I am done. You want to hold the police accountable, but yet how dare you, you know, how dare we hold you accountable for breaking the law or you know, for having, being in violation of statutes? Like, and I was just like, man, I'm done. You know, I'm just absolutely done. You know, and then they drove off, and I was like, man, you know what? Let me check something. Let me check something. I get online, and I go on uh, social media, and I start looking at this person's post, and the next thing you know, I see this person that had made a post about it, how they were unjustly and unfairly targeted by these officers in Louisville. You know, and I'm just like, really? And I show it to my partner. He's like, man, I knew this was going to be a problem. I was like, no, you did the right thing because this is their MO, and this is what they do. This is what they want. They want people to sympathize with them, and they want to be the victim, even though they were in the wrong. We had our body ca- or our microphones on. Whole thing was recorded. There was nothing wrong on our part, yo. But for them, they don't want to be held accountable and held to the same standard as everybody else. They want to be treated special, and they don't want the law to be applied to them. And when it's applied to them, they got a problem. And they, even the worst part of this is. This is another reason why I left the Louisville Metro Police Department. This person is on the LMPD Civilian Review Board, a civilian that is supposed to be objective and neutral and non-biased when it comes to police issues and matters. You know, but, and there was, a, uh, there was a little issue around this person getting on the board because of some of the things they had posted on social media. But they still brought this person onto the board. And I told myself, this is another reason why I left Metro, because I, as a person of high integrity, an officer who always tries his best to do the right thing, I don't want to be held accountable to someone like you who can't even take responsibility for a registered tag, for not having your registration in place, for having a temp tag that's been on there since December. It's crazy, man. I'm just like, who? what officer wants to be held accountable by someone that wants no accountability for themselves? And that's when I was like, man, you know, I've struggled with leaving LMPD, but, man, guess what? It's absolutely the right thing because I don't want the people in that civilian review board that are around that person to be sitting judgment of me when they don't know anything about me and how I do my job or how us as police do our job and what's required. Man, it just, I'm fired up, y'all. <laughs> Boy, I am definitely fired up, man. But I'm also hurt, though, man. It's just like, Man, it's just crazy to believe that hey, these people, we could go to church together, pray together, do all these spiritual things together, and all of a sudden, I'm this evil person, and I don't fuck with the police because I'm holding you accountable. Like, <clears throat> you know, I shouldn't be shocked because like, this is the, I think the second or the, uh, the third confrontation I've had with somebody that I've got to confront about 2020, and it feels good. But like I said, I'm not, out, I'm not in this for vengeance. I'm not in this because I'm mad and I'm looking to hurt people. I'm not. I just want to hear you out, and I want to hear you explain what I did to you personally to make you do or say those things to me. And like I said, nobody has an answer. Nobody, nobody, they can't answer. You know, I said, they changed. Their true character was shown. I've not changed. I'm still the same person. I'm not going to change. I'm always going to be Dexter. I'm always going to be the nice guy. I'm not always not here to argue and, you know, blow smoke. Bro. I'm just... I just want to understand, and I, I've also come to grips that sometimes I'm not going to be able to understand because people probably can't even explain it themselves, you know. But, I mean, like, just where I'm at now, man, it's just, like, I thought I escaped all this craziness going to Metro or leaving Metro coming out to where I am, you know. But, I mean, there was an incident the other night. I ran into this guy, 
on this call, and the next thing you know, this man said, you know, you don't know what it's like. I'm a, I'm a light-skinned black man in Louisville. I got to be around all these white people driving these Teslas. You don't know the struggle. And I'm sitting here like, fool, are you serious? A light-skinned man in Louisville, when you got to see white people drive Teslas? That's your oppression? And, you know, they just started in, man, you look very Uncle Tomish. And then, you know, throwing in the light-skinned versus dark-skinned thing. Y'all, I'm just like, man, what the heck is going on? Bro? And it's been literally all week, y'all. This is another part of the reason I told you I've just been kind of laying low, just kind of whew, breathing and woosan. Hey, I just I've had it with the public, man. They're just And I love the public. I love y'all. I'm always there for y'all. You call 911. I'm coming. I'm coming to help. I'm going to go above and beyond every time. But hey, they just get to the point able to where it gets too much. Yo. And I've just been at my capacity mentally and emotionally yo, the last few weeks. Yo. What really almost pushed me over, man, was, I was at the at Whole Foods here in Louisville the other day. Man, we got a call about a suspicious vehicle at the mall. You know, there's a drug transaction going down. You know, we drive around, you know, in the area. We're looking at vehicles. And, man, we don't see anything. You know, I'm just like, hey, man, we're, we're 10A, man. This is unfounded. Ain't nothing going on here. So I decide, you know what, man? I haven't been to Whole Foods in a long time. I'm going to go into Whole Foods and get me some delicious Tapo Tico sparkling water. And I was like, man, I'm going to enjoy this water. And so instead of parking like a cop, and since I'm in my police car and on duty, you know, I, typically cops, when they go to stores on duty, they park in front of the fire lane. I was like, I'm not going to do that. Why? Because I know where I work. A lot of people here will do anything to get you in trouble. A lot of rich and titled people. And I was like, man, I'm going to park my cruiser in the parking lot like a normal person visiting a store because I am not special and I am not above the law. And I'm not on official business. I'm just thirsty. And I want some sparkling water. So I park in this vehicle. I park my car in the parking lot. You know, and then I go into the store, look around, find my sparkling water. And I get some a dessert, man. And I'm like, man, I'm good. So I go check out. And I walk to my car, turn on my car, and I'm starting to drive. And as I'm getting ready to drive out, this black lady almost steps in front of my car as I'm driving down the lane. <laughs> And just starts mean mugging me and throws her hands up like, what? So I stop and I'm rolling down my window like, yes, ma'am, can I help you? And this is what she says to me, literally, why are you parked beside my car? I was like, excuse me, ma'am, why are you parked next to my car? And I reach in and I hold up my Topo Tico sparkling water like, I went to go buy a drink, ma'am, why? I saw you all out here earlier driving around looking at my car. I don't appreciate you parking by my car. I was like, ma'am, the reason we were driving around earlier, somebody called in to complain about possible drug dealing in the area. I was like, I don't know you. I've never met you. And then I said, after I got through looking for this car, I went inside to get some sparkling water. I was like, I don't even know anything about you. And she looks at me confused and puzzled like, oh, well, <laughs> well that's it. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't know that. I know you didn't, you asshole. Like, man, I was, like, so mad. But, like, yeah, that's one of those times I had to literally check myself because I was literally on the verge of getting ready to curse this lady out because I've had, like, I've been at my mental and emotional capacity. Pardon the language, man, but my shit meter has been full. And I'm just like, man, this lady's about to get it. And I was like, you know, I can't do that because I promised my chief when he gave me this job that, I will always do my job and always be professional. And I am going to hold to that. And I realize that, I, like I said, when I'm in this uniform, I represent a certain 
you know, a certain department, a profession. You know, my last name, I represent my last name, you know, and I was just like, man, the temptation was there, but I was able to tamper down the flames and inside it, and I lived, I just drove away. I swallowed my pride, and I just drove away, because Lord knows I wanted to give this lady the business, because I was so freaking bad, yo, but I just, I didn't, I swallowed my pride, man, and just went on about my way, yo, and I just told my partners, like, man, what the hell is up this week, dude, like, this little lady literally just got mad at me for parking my car in the parking lot next to her car, and in her mind, she's already a victim, and nobody said anything to her, like, did she not see me in the store if we were coming out at the same time? Did you not see me carrying my dessert and my Topo Chico sparkling water out of the store, yo? But they, this person still had to make contact with me, yo, just still had to have that confrontation. That's when I was just like, man, I need a break, man. Lord knows I need a vacation. You know, and I told my wife, like, man, I came out, I left Metro to leave these ignorant people to get away. But it's like they followed me here. And they are still haunting me. Oh, boy. Man, you know, I could definitely use a drink, but I ain't going to be able to drink for a minute unless I, you know, I broke my caffeine habit and I finally broke my uh, my about five-month dry streak and now I have an alcohol. But, man, my God, after this next stretch is over, y'all, I think I'm going to sit down, pour me a nice, hard, stiff glass of bourbon and take it straight to the dome because, my God, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> You know, so, you know, I'm still out here in the streets doing my thing, still working. And, you know, I, I told myself, I was like, man, if I survive through 2020 mentally and emotionally, I could survive through a week or two or three of the work I'm doing currently you know, and just dealing with ignorant-ass people. And you know, I told myself that, man, it's not me. I've done nothing to these people. I know I haven't, you know, but that's why, you know, God reminds me I need to pray for people. I need to be humble. I need to learn to forgive people, and I'm trying my best to do that, you know, despite my personal, my emotions right now. And uh, what's the saying? Forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. Now nah, these fools don't know. They they don't know, man. But I'm just here caught in the middle, man. And I told myself it's going to take more than some left-leaning, blue-purple-haired, DEI inclusionist woke person to drive me out of this profession. You know, I love being a cop. I'm not going anywhere, man. You know, this guy's constantly leaving me on. I'm, I'm just not. You know, somebody's like, man, why don't you try to monetize your podcast? I was like, that's podcasting is my hobby, but policing is what I do. You know, it's just, man, it's, I love being in this uniform. Despite the ups and downs, all the drama, there's nothing else I can see myself doing. Could I go do something else? Of course I could, yo, but. That's just not what God's called me to, man. God's called me to this profession and equipped me to be able to do it and handle it. And I'm going to keep doing it until the wheels fall off. Although last week, uh, this past couple weeks, I thought the wheels were falling off. Like, literally, I was ready. I, I was questioning last week, like, yo, like, dude, why do I keep doing this, God? Like, I'm done. I'm ready to hang it up. I'm tired of people. But, man, my sergeant gave me a letter the other day. Somebody sent this letter to the police station. And I opened up the letter. And it was from this young girl out this way that I helped that was having a mental health crisis. And in the letter, you know, something about when I, when I was in that incident with her, I shared with her my story, my struggle, you know, my suicide, you know, contemplations and all that. And just I sat with this girl for like an hour and talked with her at the hospital until the doctors came and got her. You know, I'm telling you, man, when I got that letter at the bell, that letter completely, fully recharged me. 
re-energized me and, and, real, and, and reinforced to me that I'm a cop protecting God's flock, literally. God has empowered me to do this job to watch after his people and his children. And, man, that young lady was telling me how much my time with her meant to her and that she's getting counseling, she's seeking Christian counseling, and she believes that she's going to be okay and that she's going to make it all because she had this encounter with me, you know, and that that was what I needed. My God, man, that letter, I ain't gonna lie, it almost moved me to tears, man. It was just, it's just a reminder of why we do this job. You know, there's so many reasons to become a cop. It was like, you know, everybody likes the, the high-speed chases, the, the fighting, and it's all the cool guy stuff that everybody loves, you know, but deep down at the end of the day, what gives me pleasure and what keeps me coming back to doing this job is knowing that I make an impact on somebody's life. And it's not something you get often as a profession as a reminder that you're doing God's work out here and that you're actually making the difference. Because a lot of times, man, we just snatch these people up, take them to the hospital, and we're done and we're on to the next one. And like, I don't have any sort of emotional attachment, yo. But something about that incident touched me in my heart. And when I got the letter from that young girl that she's not even here no more, she moved to go be with her family. Yo. Like, the fact that I made that much of an impact in her life, I hope that impact carries her through her next downward spiral, and she remembers that if nobody cares about you, Officer Pitts cares about you. So, man, to me, that's worth a thousand negative encounters, a thousand negative comments, a thousand negative, I hate the police, that one letter, that one positive letter, that, that's the first ever handwritten letter I've gotten from anybody personally in 13 years. That makes everything that I went through in 2020 in these last few weeks, absolutely worth it, man. Like I said, this profession is worth it. This uniform is worth it. You know, it depends on where you're doing it, but, man, like I said, I'm in it. I'm still in it, and I ain't going nowhere, y'all. You know, I'm, I'm going to keep doing this, like I said, until the wheels fall off, man. And sometimes when the wheels get a little wobbly, sometimes you just got to crank and crank, you know, tighten down the bolts and keep rolling, man, and your boy deck is going to keep rolling. You know, I feel a little bit more energized after that letter and just reassured that I'm doing the right thing and that I'm exactly smack dab in the middle of where God wants me. And nobody's going to take me out of that. So I'm going to get ready to wrap this up. I hope the audio quality wasn't horrible. It wasn't too bad. Been sitting here holding my cell phone. My hand is tired. And not only that, my hand is tired from all the shooting I've done the last few days. My God. Man, we switched over to uh, these new Glocks and these new red dot sights on our guns and I think we probably shot close to 1,000 rounds, maybe. Man, dude, my hand is killing me. But, my God, let me tell you, I'm a believer in the red dot sights on the pistols, man. I've never been a horrible shot, but I definitely became an even better shot. So definitely a believer, man, definitely a believer. So before I get ready to get out of here, also, if you all could, keep my man, Officer Wilt from the LMPD, the officer that was shot in the head during the mass shooting, in prayers. The brother's still out there. He's still fighting. I mean, they, I think, you know, they had moved him to a different hospital because he was having issues with pneumonia, and now they moved him back to UofL because the pneumonia's clearing up, and apparently he's a little conscious now. He's able to open his eyes, and somebody said that he actually said his name. So, man, we just keep praying. Officer Wilton, your prayers. You know, Corey Galloway, the other officer that responded to him, that was Officer Wilton's uh, trainer, and just the, all the families involved in all these mass shootings, man. Just Man, it's time to come together as a country and as a community and hold each other, man. At some point in time, we got to learn to put politics aside, put the politics down, and just learn to be human to each other and just love one another. 
I know it sounds cheesy, but my God, man, there's never been a better time with as much craziness and evilness going on in this world. Man, I think it's a good time to just kind of look at your neighbor and just hold hands and hug, man, and love on each other, dude. Because I'll tell you, I've, I've had it with the violence um, at capacity. I just don't want to. I'm tired of the violence, man. Time to start hugging each other and stop shooting one another, y'all. So I'm going to get ready to go ahead and end it, man. If y'all could, you know, do me a favor. Share the show. Rate the show if you could. I haven't gotten a rating in a while. Y'all flipping and y'all tripping. Y'all keeping people from hearing my smooth, delicate voice and hearing all these facts and these rants. So if you could, man, just like I said, you know, share the show. Leave me a five-star rating. If you got any questions about anything, what I'm doing, drop me an email at impits at yahoo.com. Also, don't forget to get my book, man. The book's book is still selling. No, not as much. You know, book sales slow down a lot, man. Well, as soon as your book comes out, there's another one right behind it. But if you want, go ahead and grab yourself a copy of I Am Pitt's Memoirs of an American Patriot. Go to IamPitt.com and get your order or drop me an email, and I'll send you a signed copy for a small fee. Like I said, that's at IamPitt.Yahoo.com. Man, what else is there? Uh, let's see. This is why when you don't have editing. <laughs> well, if I was editing, I could edit that out, but now I'm trying to think what else I got to do because I don't have everything in front of me. And I think that's, uh, I believe that's going to be it, man. Oh, yeah, also, be sure to go follow me on Instagram. That's what it is. Follow me on my Instagram page at IamPits1. That's IamPits, the number one, on Instagram. Follow me on there to keep up with me. Like I said, I've not been posting a lot because I've been kind of laying low, chilling, just getting myself together so I could keep, you know, serving the community and serving my family, man. But other than that, that's going to be it, people. This has been the I Am Pits Podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. And remember, there is no outro on this one. Just the end of my beautiful voice. Tell me goodbye, and I will see you all on the next one.